Today, you're invited to inhale and enjoy the fragrance of flowers, herbs, and foliage. Stephanie Bittner of Homestead Design Collective uses sensory plants as a way to immerse her clients in nature, and we're delighted to learn from her today. A garden needs to really support your lifestyle. It needs yeah. to support space for, uh, for eating and play, and a garden really frames your house and welcomes you, and that can't be a crop that is mowed down each season. Right? You need foundation plantings, you need a focal front yard tree, you need screening plants from your neighbor. All of those plants can either be edible or fragrant, both. There are many edible plants that are fragrant. They can be things for your arrangements. Multi-purpose flowers, flowers that, um, that are really good for the vase, but you can then do a scented project for. Like that's really exciting to me because yeah. you can do multiple things with them. But then I also hope that what's happening in the gardening world can inspire what's happening in the farming world. Because I, you know, I definitely see a lot of what's happening in the flower farming world. And I really hope that folks can start appreciating how their consumers are getting inspired by them. Yeah. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 651. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice. And I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 750 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at longfield-gardens.com. Welcome to Stephanie Bittner, returning for her second appearance on the Slow Flowers podcast. A garden designer and Slow Flowers member, Stephanie is the owner of Homestead Design Collective, based in Lafayette, California. You can check out our show notes for the episode 289 link, listening to my 2017 interview with Stephanie on the publication of Harvest Unexpected Projects Using 47 Extraordinary Garden Plants. That book came out five years ago. She appeared on the episode with her co-author, Alethea Harampolis, and they have collaborated on a new book, The Fragrant Flower Garden, Growing, Arranging, and Preserving Natural Scents, published by 10 Speed Press, out on March 5th. The Fragrant Flower Garden introduces gardeners and growers to designing with fragrance in mind. It encourages readers to choose plants that can be smelled and that awaken the senses, connecting people with the garden and the vase, or by preserving fragrance for longer enjoyment. This means floral teas, natural perfumes, flower tinctures, modern potpourris, and more applications. Creating beauty products from the garden appeals to anyone who desires a non-synthetic alternative to the plethora of chemicals used in beauty and bath products. And as Stephanie points out, fragrance is subjective, emotive, and personal. I'm a huge fan of this book and its mission to engage with plants through the senses, especially 
fragrance. When Robin Avni and I were collecting our top themes for the 2024 Slow Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast, we wanted to include fragrant flowers and gardens as one of our insights as something that's really capturing people's attention right now. Stephanie generously shared a preview of her new book, along with the photography by David Fenton, which we highlighted in insight number seven, The Garden Eclectic. I'll share a link to our forecast if you wish to read more. In our insight, we encouraged flower farmers, gardeners, and florists to lead with fragrance as a way to engage their customers' emotional memories with the scent of flowers. You can preserve the scent, perhaps making a flower tincture. You can make perfume, a hydrosol, or an updated potpourri, Stephanie suggests, and several projects are included in the book to introduce the idea of preserving fragrance. Stephanie was in Seattle recently to speak at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival, and we had the time to sit down together and talk about this beautiful book. I know you'll enjoy the conversation, so let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Show with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to welcome Stephanie Bittner, my dear friend and owner of Homestead Design Collective based in the Bay Area. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for being here. We're in my hotel room. We're both in downtown Seattle for the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival, which has been taking place uh, the week of Valentine's Day. And Stephanie's in town. You gave two talks. I did. And uh, we knew you were going to be here, and um, I... I asked you if you would sit down with me, and I'm so excited to, first of all, welcome you back to the show. Thank you. It was 2018 yeah. when you were on the show uh, here at, the, uh, uh, same same deal. You were up here talking right. about a book, Harvest, but now we're talking about the fragrant flower garden, and this is a beautiful new book, hot off the press, by, it'll be released on March 5th. March 5th, okay, so almost hot off the press, but we've got a copy to show off today. Uh, this is a book with a subtitle, Growing, Arranging, and Preserving Natural Scents. And we're going to talk a lot about designing for fragrance and how that influences flower arranging and, you know, cutting gardens and all. Um, but first, let's just talk about you and your business. Sure. Homestead Design Collective. You're Slow Flowers members. I'm so appreciative of that. Uh, because your residential landscape design business has so much to do with... Cutting gardens. Oh, definitely. I would say about 70% of our clients now come to us wanting cut flower gardens. Wow. They're so inspired by the documentaries, by Instagram. I mean, flower farmers on Instagram. Oh, my goodness. Um, so my clients are on Instagram. They're they're deep in thought about the dahlias, about the zinnias. They're seeing all these images. They're coming to me, and they're like, I want my entire backyard to be full of dahlias. And that's when we have the come to Jesus moment <laughs> of saying, wait a minute, we are not a farm, you're a garden, and how do we design a space that is water efficient? You know, um, we garden in a drought state, so water is very expensive in the so Bay Area. California has just been so hard on garden lovers. It's been hard. But and you just have to shift what you're planting, right? Exactly. And we create, we take out lawns, we create very low water, really beautiful, very harvestable spaces, things that can be used for arrangements, that can be used in the kitchen, um, but they're super low water. And then we create spaces for crops, either food-based crops, flower crops, 
that are water efficient and have their, and they're on their own hydrozone. Hydrozones are, if you think about the timer on your irrigation, yes. so the station, yeah. um, we make, you know, there can be one station that has medium to high water, it's watered really efficiently, then you have your dahlias there. But if but kind you, of in their own little community. In their own little yeah. community, because if you are in a residential area in California, you cannot grow flowers for profit, thinking that you can, you know, turn your backyard into a flower farm and sell those flowers, because the flowers would probably be about $50 a stem when you look Jeez. at your input in terms of water. So people who are uh, flower farmers in the outer rim outside of the urban centers in, in the Bay Area, they're probably zoned agriculture. They're zoned they access different water? Right. They're zoned agriculture or they have wells. Oh, okay. Um, there are some folks that, that do do it. Um, and again, it's a very precise... Um, farming and it's not gardening. Yeah. Um, a garden needs to really support your lifestyle. It needs yeah. to support space for um, for eating and play and really um, a, a garden really frames your house and welcomes you and that can't be a crop that is mowed down each season, right? You need foundation plantings, you need a focal front yard tree, you need screening plants from your neighbor. All of those plants can either be edible or fragrant both. There are many edible plants that are fragrant. They can be things for your arrangements. Um, a lot of the plants in the Protea family, we're talking about grevilleas and the codendrons, they're beautiful evergreen plants that yeah. bring in pollinators. And they're also like a stem of the codendron, like at my local forest, sells for $15 right, a stem. Right, right. And, and so the foliage is fabulous. It's fabulous. I, I couldn't help but thinking about when you first started, um, or when I first got to know you, you were preaching edible Beautiful Edible Gardens, and right. that's the name of the book that you wrote with Leslie Bennett. And um, it was, uh, that was kind of trying to get a cultural shift going about how people saw their gardens. Definitely. So um, now you're layering in fragrance as just yet another feature that people can be considering, and flowers fell into that continuum as well. Well, really, you know, our philosophy at Homestead is really about harvestability. Mm -hmm. So it's harvesting for the kitchen, it's harvesting for the vase. If you are growing food in your garden, you need to have flowers, because you need pollinators. The fragrance of flowers is not for people, it's for the bees. And thank goodness we've got that, that pollinator uh, need, because sometimes people think flowers are, you know, superfluous or, you know, not, a, not an essential. No. no, they are. They are extremely essential. Yeah. So our gardens are already filled with with perennial crops that give you food and flowers. And um, so this book is really highlighting the importance of fragrance. You know, this garden, this book could have also been called the pollinator garden. It could have <laughs> been true. called the harvestable garden. Um, it's really about, but it's really celebrating fragrance. And um, and it really talks about how to design a garden space with fragrance in mind the plants that make it up, and then obviously then how to do flower arrangements based on fragrance, and then also how to preserve natural scent. So these are small projects for a garden space, not a farm space. Right. Um, so this is stuff for the everyday person can do. Um, I love this picture on the cover. Uh, you said you had just um, just gathered these. We had just, so this is, um, that's actually me. <laughs> and, um, and so we had just, I had just cut everything to do one of the projects in the book. And um, Alethea, who's my co-author, just literally was like, wait, stands there. And just was like, doot, 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 doot. And, and then David, our photographer, took the photo. Was this at your garden? This is in my garden. Okay, yes. so you're in East Bay. I am. And uh, what is your water situation? How do you irrigate? Uh, my um, drip. 
Okay. And I have a very high water bill even. Um, so this year I actually am, I have a very old garden. I yeah. inherited my parents' home. and So um, a lot of established trees and A lot of established things. So what I've done the last three years is I just turned my irrigation down by 60% wow. and said, Who's gonna live? Wow! And um, and it was actually kind of amazing to see who lived. Um, all the fruit trees. Fruit trees are actually very low water once they're established. Um, camellias, which also go very low water. Interesting. Um, oak leaf hydrangeas also Thank very goodness. low water. I think that's the only hydrangea we really plant on the bay. Um, and we, I really kind of looked, and then what happened is a lot of plants reseeded. Hellebores oreganos, a lot of the herbs reseeded, and I actually have like a, a fragrant um, herbal meadow in my garden wow. that wow. Mother Nature did. Right. Um, you so could never have like strategically planted that naturalistic herb. I, I think I could. But well, you could. <laughs> you could. But, Most people could. But yeah. I think allowing Mother Nature to actually do that and give it the space and time. Um, so right. So but like I'm doing with all of my clients, most of my clients, I'm removing lawns these days yeah. and creating these very low water um, gardens. Um, we're doing that in my own home garden as well right now. Is a lot of this book photographed in your garden? It's photographed in a lot of our in client gardens and um, our gardens. Uh, show us some of the inside. Show you a couple. Um, oh wow! This is a garden that we um, we did in Healdsburg, um, and oh this is a food based garden yeah. here. But you can see surrounding it are all of roses, these roses, roses, flowering basil. basil. There's calendula. There's scented geraniums. Yeah. It's really highly fragrant and again we need to have the bees come and visit these guys to then come and pollinate the cucumbers that are right here you can't have cucumbers unless they're pollinated so this is a client's garden this is a client's garden they want a kind of a french uh potager style they do. Their, their house is very much inspired by a french potager style um i should know these by heart it goes back to that whole harvestability right that yeah. you mentioned oh my god that's this is gorgeous. another cut flower garden that we have in marine county um, you'll see that there's... Um, oh, here's hydrangeas. Oh, yeah. There's hydrangeas in this garden. Um, we have them on drip. Our client is really does not want to give them up. But also, there's trees in this garden. You had mentioned shade. Yes. So shade is really important. We were talking about the difference between a garden and a farm. Um, I really believe that we need to reshade our, our farmland and also our cities and our gardens. We're experiencing bit, you know, long bits of really high temperatures, and we need more shade. Wow. Wow. Well, and then so. that, that protects the plants, obviously, from getting fried, but it... Yes, it helps. Um, you know, how we plant as well is really important mm. in terms of how we keep water retention in. Yeah, that, thank you. That's easier. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> I'm bad enough with Latin. So, um, but definitely if you think about it, um, if you have plants whose leaves are touching like this and then they create shade down here in the soil, it really keeps the, the moisture in the soil from evaporating yeah. very quickly. Yeah, so like we that. definitely do a French intensive planting with our edibles and our cut flowers to help, you know, keep the moisture levels more even. And especially with crops that want, you know, more water like dahlias and zinnias and all of the fun cut flowers we need to create um, very even moist soil interesting that's interesting well your last book harvest which came out in 2018 is all about um perennial edibles right and we had recorded an episode of the slow flowers podcast when stephanie was here i mean that might have been the last time i saw you i can't I know, remember it's been a while. um and we were in the lobby of this hotel doing that interview with alethea and you had this this crazy brainstorm you just said, I know what my next book is going to be. And then 
I, I was in on the secret mainly because I was sitting there. You were sitting saying, right there. No, you were definitely, and I, it's so funny. I was thinking about it because you had you had mentioned something in the interview, and I think if I went back and listened, I could probably maybe pick about some senses or something. About senses, yeah. and it just like the lightning bulb went out, and I was like, I know what the next book is, and it was this. Well, it's interesting being writers and authors. Um, we always have plans for the next book. They don't right. always materialize, but here you are. You had COVID in the midst of this. Um, and yet you had, um, you have beautiful photography and it's filled with recipes and they're not, that's not the right word. Right, maybe they're more like projects, which is right. sort of the approach that you, you, you educate people about what to do with the plants in their garden. Definitely. So this book has recipes for preserving fragrance. And I think that's such an interesting way to think about it. So we can talk about maybe sure. some of these projects. Um, first of all, you go through design, you highlight all your favorite plants, but I love that you do it by categories, trees, shrubs, perennials, vines, all the whole bulb and tuber family and then annuals so that people see it. It's so much beyond just the garden rose and, you know, oh, that's so much more like the trees and shrubs are interesting to think about. So you highlight your favorites. Yes. And then you talk about ways to... Flower arranging. Yeah, ways to use your fragrant flowers. I love that. And um, but also herbs. Definitely. And then uh, the all the things that you could do with uh, cut scented plants. It's not right. just flowers, also there's herbs in there as well. Definitely. And, um, and foliage. So it was scented geraniums, yeah. right? Definitely there are projects that you can do with um, with plants that have scented foliage as well. Okay, so there's jasmine and citrus blooming oil, the yes. potpourri tub soak the Gardenia Stick Perfume, the Healing Hydrosol, and the Aromatic Garden Tincture. Let's look at one of those and just sure. hear a little bit about how, um, I think the one that caught my eye was this. This is so beautiful. Um, thank you. You know, um, Alethea and I both grew up um, during the 70s when our moms had the really horrible, stinky bowls of potpourri in the <laughs> living room. They capture a lot of dust. Yes, they capture a lot of dust. And so we, we were rethinking about you know teaching people how to preserve scent from their garden, potpourri came to mind and yeah. to really update it. Yeah. Um, really drying drying plants is one of the easiest and oldest forms of, of preservation, and you can do that with scented plants. The take that we did on it though is that we used plants that were not only fragrant but also really good for your body. Oh, so that's like the tub and, and so you can tub soak as well. Okay. So you can put it out in a pretty bowl and have the fragrance of the bowl in the room. And in addition, you can take a muslin bag, put a couple scoops in and throw it in your bathtub, and then you have this beautiful fragrant tub experience that also is nourishing your skin. Right, because for every uh, ingredient in this soap recipe, you say whether it's, you know, what it's, what it's um, trait is that yes. is good for the skin. I love that one. I'm going to try to make that this summer. And then the other one that I was so interested in, of course, there's a lot in here about perfume making. Perfume making, yes. So Alethea's special talent. Um, which is also interesting because that's technical. It's very technical. This is very much, I think my approach in general is very much based upon common sense yeah. and then also small scale for gardening. Okay. So we do show how to, you know, we talk about doing a hydrosol. Um, you, you can, is that, that's this, that's this page over okay. here. Um, 
having a copper still, you can make essential oil. Okay. However, you need to be to, you need to be on a flower farm to have enough flowers to actually make an essential oil. We're talking about hundreds oh and gosh. hundreds of stems. That's how the lavender That's farmers do. That's how the lavender okay. farmers do it. So instead, we teach folk, folks how to do a hydrosol, which is the flowering water, which you can use as a face mist. There's so many things you can do with a hydrosol. Oh, yeah. That um, sounds so cool. And we do it also with kitchen pots. So you can, you can of course, get a still. But you can also do it with a couple of pots. And that's like this, or uh, jar. This is different. This oh. is actually a, a, um, a tincture, which we use oh. as a perfume. Okay. But this oh. one's really fun. Yeah, you said that this is a kind of a daily, you can that do this as a daily practice. Yes. So the idea behind the flower tincture is that you're extracting this, the fragrance from the plant on a daily basis through a non-scented alcohol. You can use Everclear, which I had a ton of leftover from COVID. So, because <laughs> I was some... I thought I was going to make my own hand sanitizer at one point. Right. I didn't. So right. instead I made perfume. <laughs> um, so if you have any Everclear left over from that. Um, but also you can use a perfume. They have perfumer's alcohol. You could use vodka. If you use vodka, obviously this can become a cocktail as well. But the idea is that you're, you're doing small batch. So you're harvesting, let's say we have stock right here. So we're harvesting the stock flowers. This is the flowers, the little flower buds of just two stems in wow. this jar. Wow. So you're just taking a small amount, Okay. you're filling up the jar with the non-scented alcohol, you're letting it sit for 24 hours, you then actually um, use a sieve and you pour out you pour out the alcohol, you capture that, and then you start the process again. And you start, then the next day you take two more flowers worth of, you know, two more stems worth of flowers. Wow. And then you're just, you're, you're extracting this fragrance and then you, usually after about seven or eight times, you get to a point where you can be like, I want to stop or I want to make it heavier, I want to make it headier, like stronger. Or sometimes what we'll do is that then we'll start mixing other scents. I was going to say, then you might want to shift to a different, well, if it's, you're doing it through the seasons, it's going to change anyway with the flowers that you're harvesting. Right. So yeah. you can do it as, as a single flower of just stock, or you could do one with like rosemary and chamomile. It really becomes, yeah, and it just becomes a way to preserve your garden. So you can have a year's worth of scent on your, on your kitchen cabinet. So. Well, I think that's what uh, I find so inspiring about what about what you're doing is that you're bringing um, the you know the home gardener, the residential flower lover, closer to um, understanding the importance of the slow flowers movement, and you're also helping. I would hope through this book showing your peers who love flowers but are growing them commercially how to connect with the consumer who wants to know oh. more about what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, my clients are the clients of the, of the flower farmers. Okay. So, you know, my clients are the ones that are buying the bouquets, they're watching the documentaries, they're all over the Instagrams, because when I meet with them, I'm seeing everyone's Instagram photos. They're showing me, I love this farm, I love this farm, <laughs> I want to do this. It's like getting the Pinterest board. When oh, yeah. Oh, I get them. Yeah. And, um, and it's really inspiring because, I mean, what – what the slow flower movement has done is really introduce the love of flowers back into gardening, yeah. which is I'm really excited about. Yeah, there was um, that pendulum that swung after 2008 yeah. when the economy tanked and everybody was like all all about food security and yeah. and flowers were considered frivolous. So not anymore. It, I think the pollinator conversation saved flowers from being right. just 
trash to not include it in true gardening. Right. Um, so now it's just delightful to see. Oh, it's wonderful. That, yeah. And it's, I think though, I think the, the part that is that what I'm doing is I'm, we're taking inspiration from the flower farms and we're translating it into gardens. Right. And in a I, realistic way. In a very realistic way. Tiny residential lot. Tiny residential lots uh, with water restrictions. Again, just really understanding your growing space and how you're using the flowers. That's why multi-purpose flowers, flowers that um, that are really good for the vase, but you can then do a scented project for. Like that's really exciting to me because yeah. you can do multiple things with them. Um, but then I also hope that what's happening in the gardening world can inspire what's happening in the farming world. Because I, you know, I definitely see a lot of what's happening in the flower farming world. And I really hope that they can, um, that folks can start kind of appreciating how their consumers are actually, um, are getting inspired by them. Yeah. Yeah. So I also thought that your point about, um, bringing sort of regenerative practices into the home garden, you know, it's, that's an agricultural term, but. Yeah. And so regenerative farming is a really exciting movement. You see that a lot in food-based farms and I'm hoping that it, that the flower farming world will also start following more of regenerative practices. Yeah. We're seeing that um, too, especially with maybe um, like trying to keep this, the, like almost by what is it called? Um, Biointensive, where you're, you're keeping all your materials on your yeah, property, the, the and then biodynamic using biodynamic. Gardening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's exciting about biodynamics is it's about closing the circle of sustainability. Yes. yes, and really, you know, and really keeping all your crops there and recycling your crops, and also having a fertilizer source. Um, which again, you can do on a farm. We do that in gardening on a small scale. I was going to ask you about that. How can, can you do that? So, um, so compost bins. Yeah. And compost crops, yep. we do a lot of comfrey so that our clients can actually have their own fertilizer on site. And then I really believe in a, in um, an animal source for fertilizer. You know, I'm Is obsessed. that why you have chickens? I'm so obsessed <laughs> with my chickens. Okay. But, um, but more importantly than chickens, because not everyone can have backyard chickens, yeah. um, rabbit. So if we want to talk poop, if that's all right. Yes, um, let's do it. So rabbit, um, rabbit poop is the only animal poop that can go directly into a garden as a fertilizer source. It doesn't have to be composted oh interesting and it's so, tiny and it's tiny and um and so um if if our clients already have pet rabbits we just we just teach them how to then use the animal byproduct as a fertilizer source just sprinkle it across the top of beds across the beds wow That's all you have to do and um and if not then a worm bin Okay. worms can really take that place as well oh interesting so do you design um, worm bins, worm bins we, too no we just place nice ones that are already done well you you know you have sources we have sources yes. there's some you know why reinvent the wheel when it comes to worm right bins. there's probably some people in the bay area already manufacturing worm bins. beautiful ones but we do custom custom um, custom compost bins okay um and also um we have done some um custom chicken coops as well but um but of then, course you have because <laughs> why not um but i do think taking taking the best ideas from farming is what i've been doing and, and taking them into the garden world i love it and then really you know what about regenerative farming that's really exciting and it how my interpretation of it in many ways it's reintroducing gardening back to farming okay. so really having multiple crops perennial crops shade crops 
um, really bringing back kind of a garden sense to the farms. I think these these monocrop farms, even you know, really are setting themselves up for failure um, because you're very susceptible to disease. You're susceptible to pests. You have one bad season, your entire crop is gone. Right. There's no diversification. There's no then. diversification. That's interesting. What about if somebody like I know a lot of uh, aspiring small scale flower farmers. Of course, they want to grow everything. Right. So they might have, you know, a hundred different varieties, and they're they're in rows, but they're integrated. You know, kind of like a patchwork quilt or right. or stripes. Is that diverse enough? I think so. I mean, you really, it's a, it's a farm by farm basis. Yeah. So you really have to, you know, with any garden or farm, you have to know where you are yeah. and what your growing conditions are and also what types of pests you're susceptible to, what you're at the soil health. I mean, introducing soil crops is really important um, for any farm. What do you mean also, by that? Well, so cover cropping. Okay. Um, also, I'm a big believer in using comfrey in gardens. Okay, when you talked about you talk about compost crops and you mentioned comfrey. Mm -hmm. So that is, those are soil crops as well and they can just be tilled in. Is that they what you They can be tilled in. Okay. Um, uh, it is a perennial. So typically what we do is after it ha the comfrey has its spring flush, we cut it at the base and then either soak it to make a comfrey tea that we then fertilize our plants with or actually what I like to do in our orchards is actually just take the leaves and lay them at the base of our fruit trees. It keeps weed suppression down. And as the comfrey breaks down, it goes, all the nutrients go into wow. the soil and feed the And plants. the foliage is so big. It's huge. You can just big. make a little blanket of it. Yes. So I think more people should be hunting Your clients comfrey. just think you're crazy. Like this, you know, there's no mow and blow guys around. Oh, there's no mow and blow. When Stephanie shows up. No, there's no mow and blow. But, um, but, but they're all okay. in. They're yeah. all in. And and definitely, um, and some of my clients, we are taking out lots of lawns, but some people have reasons to keep them. We really try to meet people where they are yeah. and, then, and then go from there. And so, you know, no one should be worried that we're going to come in and totally redo their space mm -hmm. in a way that they can't live with. Mm -hmm. um, gardens need to be low maintenance. They need to be low water, and it needs to be really enjoyable. It needs to be beautiful. Wow, that's great. And it needs to have fragrance. And I yes. love I love the message of this book so much. We mentioned it in, um, we actually highlighted quite a bit of it in the 2024 Slow Flowers Insights and Industry Forecast. First of all, I was so inspired by uh, the fact that it was coming out this year, so I knew the timing would be great. You generously shared a, the photos with us, and we had a separate interview about it. So that I'll put that link in our show notes so you can go back and read what Stephanie has to say about, you know, that it's almost like the, the personal connection people have with fragrance, and it kind of gets them excited about flowers then and excited mm -hmm. about having flowers in their garden that bring back a scent memory. Well, I mean, fragrance is one of the most important things with memory making. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, so I experience this a lot with our clients is that they might feel so be like, you know, my grandmother grew scented geraniums or um, a parent grew strawberries. But these are these are crops that actually have fragrance associated with them. Yeah. So, um, and we have actually designed some memorial-based gardens as well. Hmm. And fragrance has a huge part in that. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Uh, so what else are you working on these days? So, um, Italy. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> so, um, we had a really incredible experience at Homestead um, during COVID. We actually designed a regenerative farm in Tuscany and spent time in Tuscany um, um, once we were able to, to travel right, um, that's and designing that space. And just as 
life took took me. Um, my sister and I recently bought a property in Puglia, Italy. That um, it is it's a rental, and um, we're on twenty acres of farmland. Um, we grow olives and almonds and pears and apples, all kind native cherries to Italy. So there's a big orchard there. Massive wow. orchard that wow. our next door farmer takes care of for us. Um, but I am planning on on really creating a beautiful garden space and an outdoor teaching area for, for cooking classes. And we're really hoping to make this be a retreat for oh folks. Right now, you can just rent it. The right. sleep's 15, but the big old pool. It's in the heartland of Puglia. It's amazing. What is that name? Uh, truly Trazanara. Okay. And, um, and we'll put the link in the show notes yes. so you don't have to quickly write that down. Yes, but if anyone's going to Puglia, hit me up with okay. a beautiful rental. Oh but, my gosh. but the goal is in the future as we are, um, as you know, I've been spending time there getting to know the local farmers. Um, actually, kind of amazingly, um, a local farmer gifted me um, the black artichokes of Ostuni. Ostuni is a nearby hill town. Okay. And his farm is um, is in the foothills of this of this town, Ostuni. And people have been farming on that spot since before the time of Jesus. Wow. And he, um, there is a native so artichoke. They talk about terroir. It's incredible. Wow. And um, and so he actually gave me some artichokes in December. That I've, that's the first thing I've planted myself in this garden oh, but wow. um, he gave you the plants he gave us you know he just he i visited his garden he just took his artichokes whacked them off gave me some sets and said plant them but you know that whole idea of the plant adaptive uh, yes uh, like that is the hot hop super hyper local artichoke you know it's going to do fine it's going to do fine if you're not there to water it oh yeah it's doing great that's and, and it doesn't it needs winter water but that's it so um so that's and then obviously we're creating gardens in the Bay Area. Yeah. We design gardens throughout the country and also now Italy. Um, but um, but we we build the gardens in the Bay. And so does Homes and um, Design Collectives does design, build, and maintain? We do. Oh wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, and it's also a lot of work to um, you know you're you're your undesigning gardens that were inspired by the English cottage garden or something that completely are, are a fail and trying to give someone that same sense of, I don't know, lush abundance, but with Mediterranean plants. With Mediterranean and California natives. Yeah. Um, California natives are very beautiful plants. Yeah. Highly fragrant, by the way, and great for pollinators. And we're intermixing them with Mediterranean-based plants. These are all plants that can handle wet winters, dry summers, right. um, which is what we have in the Bay. And also these plants are, are highly fragrant and also very harvestable. Yeah. Um, so we're taking out as many lawns as people will let us. I love it. Stephanie, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I'll put all the details about the fragrant flower garden in our show notes, links to Stephanie's places and to her special place in Italy in case you're planning a trip over to Europe. It might be, a, I mean, yeah. I want to go. It sounds wonderful. We, we have to go. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. so much for joining me today. You'll want to check out our show notes for episode 651 at slowflowerspodcast.com to watch the replay video and learn more about the fragrant flower garden, including a peek into the book's interior pages. 
As Stephanie and Alethea write, floral customers are not farmers, but they are inspired by the farm, and they want to translate what they see into their garden lifestyle. Just like food, they want to enjoy a garden sense, and that's what really speaks to them about these sensory bouquets. I'll also share links to details that we discussed about Stephanie's new vacation rental in Puglia, Italy, called Truly Trezanara. I hope I said that correct. Talk about agritourism. I'm so enchanted by this destination and how she plans to integrate her design and teaching into an Italian garden lifestyle. Our next thank you goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you're investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. And thank you to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.